scripture this morning is coming from the book of John, uh, verses 1 to 8. Uh, Jesus is speaking, so let's pay attention. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's God's word for us today. I don't think I'm alone in saying this. Uh, But I have found that few activities are more rejuvenating for my body and soul than gardening. Are any of you in the same category? A couple of you? Okay. Yeah, you know, just only women raise their hands. That's concerning to me. Kevin, thank you. Thank you. It's like, uh uh-oh, Williams. There's something about cultivating living things for beauty and sustenance that's, that's deeply satisfying to my soul. And I don't care how much dirt or sweat or mosquitoes get involved. I really don't. In, in some ways, the, the messier the process, the more rewarding the outcome, for me at least. Unless, of course, a fruitful outcome proves maddeningly elusive in your gardening. And that has been my distinct experience on the north side of my house for the last nine years. So just to solicit your pity for my plight, let me tell you what's going on. The first row of Eliagnus I planted thrived for a while until the voles ate all the root balls and my row of six foot tall trees in a week fell over. Round two consisted of a beautiful line of blue prince and princess hollies that were supposed to produce abundant clumps of gorgeous red berries. And they were expensive. And the voles left them alone, but but then a combination, I think at least, of an underground spring that saturated the roots, plants don't like that, and some mysterious fungus I could not get rid of. In a couple years, all those hollies dead, gone, bite the dust. Save a little bit more money. And my latest attempt involves three native inkberry hollies. Thank you for letting me geek out on my plants for just a moment here. Who, who are supposed to thrive in wet soil. And I've seen some early signs of fruitfulness. But, but honestly, their growth is really kind of slow. Such is my plight as a gardener. And, and I've found that, that few experiences, if you're a gardener, 
are more frustrating than, than sinking money into plants. Because they're expensive, right? And then they don't bear fruit. They don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't grow. Why, why won't they bear fruit? It's just mystifying. Well, I would argue that we can have the exact same experience as Christians. Same, same experience. Maybe you start off well enough. You have, a, you have a spiritual moment or maybe a, a season of time where, where you're amazed by the mercy of God. You're, you're excited to follow Jesus. You're, you're aware of his nearness. You're grateful for God. But, but as the months and years whereby you don't really grow, there's, there's precious to little spiritual fruit. No. No passion for the glory of God. No affection for the Savior. Scant to no evidence in your life that you're really any different than the world around you, if you're honest. So what gives? What gives? What, what's the problem why aren't you growing? Well, a lack of fruitfulness can be inexplainable for a gardener. Certainly has been for me. But, but a lack of spiritual fruitfulness is not inexplainable for a Christian. That the path of spiritual fruitfulness in life is not a mystery, friends. It's, it's known. It's clear because Jesus has made it known and clear. And it's summarized by a single word that shows up seven times in the eight verses we just read. And that's this. Abide. Abide. He tells us to abide in him. Abiding in Christ a life of wholehearted dependence and communion with Jesus is the only path of spiritual fruitfulness in life. There is no other. And John 15, the verses we just read, it's part of a a larger body of teaching from Jesus known as the farewell discourse. What do you think farewell discourse means? It means Jesus is about to peace out. He's about to say farewell. In a physical sense, he's not going to remain much longer. So, so he gets busy giving his disciples guidance, careful guidance, for how they should live until the day he comes back. He, he knows that until he returns, we're going to keep living in a broken world, full of trouble without and trouble within. And so he gives an answer to this essential question in that kind of world with trouble without and trouble within. How in the world are we going to grow spiritually? When I leave, guys, how are you going to keep growing spiritually? How how are you going to grow spiritually, Christian? 
Well, there are two things we need to understand. And the first is this. I have two points this morning. Point number one, spiritual fruitfulness is of great importance to God. You may, you may have expected me to start with, well, okay, give, give me some tips. <laughs> well, here's the first one. We have to recognize just how important this thing is. This spiritual fruitfulness thing. There are, there are seven I am sayings in the gospel of John. Each one of them is, is John's way of disclosing something true about Jesus' identity, who he is. And the seventh one, the final one, shows up in John 15, verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine. In the Old Testament, the Lord repeatedly refers to his people Israel as the vine of his planting. And in the Psalm Serena read this morning, Psalm 80, verse 8, we read, you planted or you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. Speaking of Israel, what's he saying? Like a master gardener, the Lord did what? He transplanted Israel out of the land of slavery and death, out of Egypt. He he nourished and watered them with the water of his word. And he, he put them in a rich land, a fruitful place where they could grow for his glory as his people in his place under his rule, his vine. But Israel did not do what she was supposed to do. I mean, do we? <laughs> she, she didn't submit to God's authority. She, she became what the prophets call again and again, a wild vine. She didn't produce the fruit of godliness. She produced wild grapes, Isaiah 5, 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting and he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed and for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And the consequences of Israel doing that were really painful. And Psalm 80 laments as much. Yet, yet that psalm ends, maybe you, you saw this earlier this morning, with an expression of confident hope in someone called the Son of Man. Verse 17, but let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man whom you have made strong for yourself, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Who, who's the Son of Man in Psalm 80? It's Jesus, that the son of God who took on flesh to become the son of man. Why? So he could do for Israel what she never could do. What walk in faithful obedience to Yahweh. And and in so doing, who did Jesus become? He became the true Israel. Not, Not a replacement for Israel, but the fulfillment of all that she represented in the purposes of God. He became the faithful son, friends, who who freely gives the, the spiritual and blessings that he earned to all who call upon his name, starting with a new heart and a new spirit that that is actually able to persevere in the obedience of faith. And if you call upon his name, friend, the name of Jesus, crying out to him to make you right with God. Listen, Jesus does not hand you a get out of hell free card 
and then move on. He doesn't do that. Don't think of them that way, okay? The Holy Spirit binds you to Christ such that you are organically united to him. As, as a branch on a vine or a tree is united to the, to the vine or to the main stem that gives it life. Look at verse 5, John 15. I am the vine, Jesus says. What's that make us? You are the branches. So, so picture, picture a grapevine. Because that's probably what came to Jesus' disciples' minds. That was common in Palestine. And at a basic level, what do the branches of a grapevine do? What's the big deal with the branches? Well, they bear fruit. Duh. (laughs) Tell me something I don't know, Matthew. Well, well, think through this, okay? They, They bear fruit. It's why a farmer in Palestine would plant the vine in the first place, right? So that the branches would bear fruit. Jesus says in verse 1, my father is the vine dresser. So what's God the father looking for as he cares for and tends the vine? Fruit. He's looking for fruit. What, What kind of fruit? Well, it's not a mystery. It's the fruit he desired from his people all along. Throughout the whole story, a life devoted to loving, serving, obeying, and delighting in God. That's the fruit. So think about this, friend. Regardless of what you believe about Jesus, hear this, okay? Our existence as human beings is not an accident. God didn't create you and then say, hmm, well, now what? What am I going to do with that? <laughs> no. Genesis 1:28. And God blessed them and God said to them the first human couple Adam and Eve, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it." Yes, one of the most important ways we obey that command is by raising up godly offspring. That's another sermon. But but don't miss the big picture, okay? What's the big picture? The Lord's telling the first man and woman that he has a divinely intended, God-glorifying purpose for their life. He's got a mission for them. They are here for a reason. There's a, a telos, a goal, an aim for which he created them. It's what the Bible means when it talks about living for God's glory. We live for God's glory when we do what? When we embrace his purpose for our life instead of running with our own. But but what did God do when Adam and Eve said, you know what, how about we ditch God's purpose for our purpose? What did he do? Well, the creator became our redeemer. Why why did Jesus come to live for us, die for us, rise from the grave? Why why did he, having ascended to the right hand of the Father, pour out with the Father the Holy Spirit into the hearts of all who cry out to him for salvation? Why why does he do all of that? What's he been aiming for, gunning for, chasing after, seeking from eternity past? Look down at verse 16, John 15. I chose you and appointed you that purpose you should go and bear fruit. That you should go and bear fruit. 
God's ultimate purpose for your life, in other words, is far greater than getting you to heaven. Don't miss that. In the same way that that agricultural fruitfulness is the vine dresser's goal, so spiritual fruitfulness is God the Father's goal. And because that's his goal, he does two things. Look at them. First, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. What's that mean? Well, friend, if, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're not living in a way that, that reflects a heart devoted to serving and submitting and obeying and delighting and loving God, God isn't fooled. He's not fooled. And you shouldn't be either. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Or as D.A. Carson says, there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. But I thought I was bearing fruit, Pastor. I thought I was. I, I'm, I'm growing in my love for Jesus. I'm, I'm learning to submit to his authority in different areas of life. I'm, I'm discovering the joy of, of being used by him to love other people around me. I'm pretty sure I've been bearing fruit. So then riddle me this. Why do bad things keep happening to me? Why do they? Why am I suffering? Why do I feel like as soon as I start trying to follow Jesus in a, in a deeper way or in a greater way, my life gets harder, not easier? You ever experienced that? You, you would think that if I'm busy giving God this fruit stuff he wants, that he would get busy giving me the stuff I want. Right? You you would think that that God would reward me for doing what he wants me to do, not punish me by making my life hard. What's up with that? Look back at verse (laughs) 2. Because there's a second thing the vine dresser does. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. James 1, verse 2 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And God's people said, amen, <laughs> right? But later, what? It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He's pruning. Christian, the idea 
that if we do good for God, we will get good from God is wrong on several levels. Listen, it reflects a legal spirit that thinks we are actually capable of meriting good things from God. And it displays an arrogance that assumes we know what is good better than God does. What, what, do, what do we think is good for us? Let me just, group confession, a comfortable life, right? An easy life. My parents letting me do what I want to do. Let's get rid of all these screen time boundaries and rules and regulations. Just a comfortable, freedom life. Well, what does God say is good? Finding joy in Jesus. As we become more like Jesus, through the trials and suffering that, that prepare us for life with Jesus, as the blood-bought people of God created and redeemed for his glory. That's what God says is good. And that process is painful, just like pruning, <laughs> right? I mean, back to my gardening experience, okay? Plants typically don't look very good right after they've been pruned. <laughs> they don't. In some cases, they look practically dead. You know, my, my knockout roses in February are a case in point, okay? So why do I prune them? Why, why do they get carefully cut back to nearly the ground in February. Education moment here for all you. I stay inside types because if I don't do that, here's what's going to happen. They will yield a small handful of little flowers on gangly, disorganized, disease-prone stems. But if I prune them, they will yield an abundance of gorgeous blooms on, on strong stems that can sustain the wind and the rain for many years. I, I prune that plant, in other words, because I love that plant. Because I, I care about that plant and I want it to thrive and do and be what it was created to do and be. The Lord has the same heart toward you, Christian. And notice there, there are only two kinds of people in this passage. We're still on verse two, okay? There's only two kinds of people. There are branches the Lord takes away in righteous judgment. And there are branches the Lord prunes in redemptive discipline. Do you realize there's not a third category? Nobody gets to say, I, I would rather not have anything to do with the vine dresser. That, that's not an option. The vine dresser is engaged and involved with every person. So what should we do? Don't ignore the absence of spiritual fruit, friend. Cry out to Jesus to save you. And, and second, do not despise the Lord's pruning activity in your life. His trying, his testing, his, his painful making you more fruitful activity. Why not? Because he's making you more like him even through your suffering. Why is he so interested in that? Because spiritual fruitfulness is of great importance to God. 
That's the first thing we need to see. Here's the second. Abiding in Christ is the key to spiritual fruitfulness. That's the whole sermon. You can memorize it. Spiritual fruitfulness is of great importance to God. And abiding in Christ is the key to that, to spiritual fruitfulness. Besides ignoring the necessity of spiritual fruit, I think the other great danger that Jesus is well aware of here is the danger of mistaking the fruit of our salvation for the foundation of our salvation. I'm explaining what that means, okay? Good works are necessary for your salvation, Christian. But they are not the ground of your salvation. Okay? They're not the reason you receive the smile of God's favor, cleansing from the guilt of our sin. Welcome into the presence of God as his beloved children is not and will never be something we achieve for ourselves. That's something God accomplishes for us. And Jesus makes that crystal clear in verse three. Look there with me. Already you are clean because of all the fruit that you've been wonderfully bearing through my influence in your life. No, because of the word that I've spoken to you. The word of God, the almighty one. When he speaks, it happens. It's true. What, what's this word? What's this decisive declaration? Well, it's, it's, it's the declaration Jesus spoke over all his disciples, save Judas Iscariot back in John 13, 10, when he said to them, and you are clean. You're clean. Clean from the guilt of your sin. Through faith in me and, and my atoning sacrifice I'm about to make on your behalf. That, Jesus says, has already happened. That's not something that they are waiting in John 15 to see happen on the heels of sufficient fruit bearing. That's a gift they've already received through faith in Jesus. And friend, if, if you've placed your confidence if you're leaning the weight of your life on Jesus to make you right with God and cleanse you from the guilt of your sin, then know this, Jesus has spoken the same word over you. And his word always prevails. It prevails over our doubt. It prevails over our fears. It will prevail over the accusations of the evil one. It's not a divine desire that one day you will become clean. It's a divine declaration that right now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are clean. He's spoken that word over your life, Christian. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now, because of that, because you are clean, here's what you must do. Here's the transition into verse 4, okay? Here's how the Father's purpose to bring a harvest of spiritual fruit to pass in the life of those he has declared to be clean in the sight of God comes to pass. Look at verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's it's the key to spiritual fruitfulness again. What's that? Abiding in Christ. To, To abide in Christ. Here's a definition, okay? It's a day by day, moment by moment decision 
to draw your spiritual nourishment and life from him. It's a picture of personal communion, a relationship of dependence. I love how J.C. Ryle says, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him. To, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength as our chief companion and best friend. Just imagine with me, okay, back to gardening. I love this sermon. Imagine <laughs> when the word of God mixes with your favorite pastime. It's incredible. If, imagine if I took one of my pepper plants behind the back fence right now and, and I just hacked off one of those branches. Just hacked it off and set it on the ground next to the plant waiting for it to bear fruit. What would happen? Well, it's not going to work. Like, of course it's not going to work, Williams. Why? Because everything that branch needs to produce peppers comes to it through its connection to the vine, to the main stem. That the, the stem, or that, that branch rather, can be close to the stem or the vine. It, it can be aware of the vine. It can sing songs about the vine and listen to sermons about the vine. But if it lacks a vital connection to the vine, it will not bear fruit. It's going to what? Shrivel up and turn brown on the ground and the caterpillars are going to get into it and the voles will finish it off for good measure. That, that, Christian, that's, that's what our relationship with Jesus is like, okay? But bearing spiritual fruit requires so much more than just knowing the right things about Jesus. That's not the key to spiritual fruitfulness. You know, do we need to know what he's done for us, how we should live as a result? Absolutely. But, that, but that's not what bearing spiritual fruit requires. Bearing spiritual fruit requires relating in the right way to Jesus in light of who he is, loving him, trusting him, hoping in him, and waiting for him. So, so think about this. How's this get practical? Abiding in Christ in the workplace means looking to Jesus for the wisdom you need in your job instead of leaning on your own understanding. That's what it looks like. Abiding in Christ at home means finding your joy in Jesus instead of in how the kids are behaving that day. Okay, abiding in Christ when we're anxious means looking to him for comfort, Jesus for comfort, instead of trying to drown or escape our sorrows in a, in a combination of entertainment and food and movies or even illegal drugs. Ab abiding in Christ when we're sinned against means clinging to him as the one who vindicates our cause instead of trying to avenge ourselves. And abiding in Christ when we sin against others means believing his blood is sufficient to cover all of our sin, no matter how dark or how deep, instead of running around with our head hung low trying to sorrowfully commit enough acts of penance. In short, 
Abiding in Christ means living a gospel-centered life where the fullness of who Jesus is and the spiritual riches that are ours because of his saving work shapes and informs and directs what you think and feel and do in every situation. That's what it means. When, when we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, that's when we bear much fruit. Let, let me give you two real life examples of this. First is from my own. I, I have struggled mightily over the years to be patient with my boys. I love my boys. It is hard sometimes to be patient with my boys. And there are a lot of times that I've, I've walked into a parenting opportunity, <laughs> firmly resolved to be patient. And within several minutes, I've had to walk out of the room because there's just anger boiling inside of me. And by God's grace, I think I've grown a little bit in patience in recent months. At least one of my boys kindly encouraged me the other day and said, Dad, I think you're growing in patience. <laughs> you know, when you hear that, like your first thought is, what, what was I like before I grew, you know? Oh, I think you're growing in patience. And, and as I thought about how has that spiritual fruit come to life, what I realized is that it wasn't because I read a book on patience or I, I watched a, a YouTube video online with, with 10 keys to patience. You know how I grew in patience? A little bit. It works like this. It's happening as the Spirit helps me to abide in Christ. It's happening as I read God's word, I, I pour out my tired, impatient soul to him. And, and he graciously shows me on page after page just how patient he is with me. And as that happens, guess what? I slowly become just a little bit more patient with my boys. Because I'm, I'm ruthlessly focused on my patience. <laughs> no. Because I'm learning to abide in Christ. Here's another example. Uh, Josh Kruger recently shared this testimony with me and um, officially authorized me to read it. For many years, I loved Karin very ineffectively. That could be an understatement, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that word, my friend. This was because loving her was a duty for me. Husbands, lead your wives. Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. Those were the things I heard at conferences. Those were the things I read in books and in the Bible over many years. And it became a heavy burden because I felt utterly unable to do it. Can you all relate to that? I know what God wants me to do. I feel utterly unable to do it. Right there with you, Josh. Then maybe six or seven-ish years ago, something changed. God started revealing more of who he is to me. And I started loving Jesus more. And one thing that happened as a result, (laughs) 
was that suddenly and unexpectedly, leading and loving Karin did a 180 from duty to delight. Not that I do it close to perfect now, but suddenly the heaviness was gone. And laying down my life for her became a joy. Why, do I, why did I want to read that to you? Because it illustrates something. That, that Josh didn't produce the spiritual fruit of loving Karin by focusing on loving Karin. How, how did he produce the fruit of loving Karin? He grew in godliness when he focused on loving God. On abiding in Jesus. Because when we abide in Christ, guess what happens? We bear spiritual fruit. <laughs> so how do we do it, pastor? We should end with this. How do we abide in Christ? If this is so important. Well, it can feel very mysterious and elusive, but that is not the case at all. It's actually very practical. It's not beyond you. It is near to you. Look at verse seven. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He's connecting three things in that verse. What are they? Abiding in Christ, abiding in God's word, and a lifestyle of fruitful prayer. Why is Jesus connecting those three things? Why are they connected? Listen, because we abide in him and he in us through the power of his word. That's how it happens. If you want to abide in Christ, in other words, don't wait for it to happen or whack you on the side of the head. Take up your Bible and begin reading. <laughs> let, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly through, through reading and meditating and studying and, and memorizing God's word. Why? Because that's how we abide in him and he abides in us as what happens as we come more fully under Jesus' influence through the power of his word in what we think and feel and do. And as God speaks to us through his word, guess what else happens? As he's speaking to us, guess what else is happening? We're learning how to talk back to him. How to speak to him. We, how, how to pour out our hearts to him in prayer. We learn how to say, help God. <laughs> help God. More faithfully and diligently. Few activities rival prayer friend, as an expression of dependence on Jesus, which is the essence of what it means to abide in him. And think about how prayer is connected to the word. As we let God's word abide in us and keep it before our face, the eyes of our heart, you know what happens? Your desires will start to align with God's desires. What you want for real will increasingly become what God wants because what God has said he wants is starting to shape what you want. And when you want what God wants, guess what then happens? You begin to ask for what God wants. And when you ask for what God wants, guess what God says back to you? Yes. Does that make sense? Do we, do we need a flow chart for that? If we rarely commune with God through meditating on his word and prayer, is it any wonder 
we don't seem to produce spiritual fruit? Listen, the problem, listen to this, that the problem isn't ultimately that we're not reading the Bible and praying. Why does a pastor always say, I should read my Bible and pray more? Okay, you got anything new? (laughs) That's not ultimately the problem. What's the problem? The problem is by neglecting those disciplines, we've stopped abiding in Christ. That's the problem. And expressing our dependence on him. We've rejected, we've stiff-armed, we've pushed away and ignored, because we like Netflix better, the very means Almighty God has ordained to help us to abide in him and he in us so that we might bear fruit for his glory. It's not a mystery if you're not bearing spiritual fruit, Christian. It always comes back to abiding in Christ. Godliness is not a function of giftedness. It's not a special power reserved for the few, the proud, and the pastors. It's the fruit of abiding in Christ. Look at verse 5. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Bearing spiritual fruit is impossible. But if we choose to abide in him, look back at verse 5. Jesus makes a really precious promise. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He promises that. Did you come to Jesus late in life? God knows. Did did you show up to church with piles of baggage from all the foolish things you've done? God knows. When you spend time around other Christians, are you almost every time tempted to think, I will never, ever be as godly or fruitful or mature as that person. So I'm not even sure if I want to do Christian community because I just feel inferior. God knows. And yet, despite all he knows, his promise remains. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Much fruit. So don't don't look at yourself and despair, Christian. Look to Christ and rejoice. That's the point. Whether you've been a Christian five days or 50 years, what determines whether you will bear the fruit of godliness in your life today is whether you are willing to abide in Christ today. And keep on doing that till the day he takes you home. Growth in godliness is never, ever about turning within and and, and trying to find some well of strength deep within ourselves to, to clean our act up. Growing in godliness is all about abiding in Jesus depending on Jesus, communing with Jesus, crying out to Jesus, listening to Jesus, leaning on Jesus, following Jesus, 
paying attention to his words, talking back to Jesus. And if you do that, he will work in you the spiritual fruit that only he can bear. Spiritual fruitfulness is of great importance to God. And abiding in Christ is the key to spiritual fruitfulness. Here's what that means for you and me. Abiding in Christ should be of supreme importance to you. Is that the case, friend? Be honest. Do do you arise in the morning convinced that the great business of the day is to get as many things done as possible in as little time as possible to please as many people as possible and make as much money as possible? Or do you rise in the morning with a governing ambition that is at once simpler and yet of infinitely greater value? Make abiding in Christ your governing ambition, your chief aim. Today, tomorrow, the rest of your life, because to trust in Jesus, depend on Jesus, find your joy in Jesus, nothing's more important than that or ever will be. The the only alternative, think of it this way, is self-sufficiency. And God does not look kindly on a self-sufficient heart because it's a direct assault on the glory of our creator. It, it's, what, what is self-sufficiency? It's the age-old temptation to say, I don't need God. I'm not going to depend on God because I don't want to depend on God. I would rather be God. God will have none of that, friend. He's, he's too jealous for his glory and he's too committed to your good. It's why in verse 6, judgment and destruction are promised to those who refuse to abide in Christ. So take care that you glorify God by bearing the fruit of godliness in your life, not, not by striving to change your behavior, but by laboring to abide in Christ. Because then and only then will you bear fruit that lasts and experience the assurance of salvation Jesus promises you in verse eight. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. May that be our consistent experience, Kingsway. That that this church is so care about this as a shepherd. When people see this church, they would not see, oh wow, look at how great those people are. I mean, they must, they must be really special. They must have something amazing going on over there. Well, we do because the Holy Spirit's with us, right? And he's, he's pretty amazing. <laughs> but may, may what happens when people see us and any fruit that is born through our life always be that they immediately recognize, oh, wait. The reason that fruit is in place is only because they're abiding in Christ. Because when they see that, guess who gets the glory from your fruitfulness? It's not you. It's him. Let's pray. God, that's the kind of fruit we want you to bear. Fruit that abounds to your glory. 
There are doubtless ways, even this past week, that we have, Christian or non-Christian, tried to grow and change through harder work, more effort, digging deep, new resolutions, more promises, swearing up and down the river, I'll never do that again. You know God. And for all of that, we pray you'd forgive us. Because you said, apart from me, you can do nothing. God, we do not want fake fruit that makes us look good and you look small. We want genuine fruit, real godliness that comes from abiding in Christ where we decrease and you increase to the praise of your glorious grace. So would you help us, God, wherever we're discouraged or saddened or terrified by a lack of growth, fruitfulness in our life to not run from you in fear or wait to check back in till we have something good to report cleanse us from that legal spirit God give us a humble heart that's willing to persevere through your word through prayer in communing with you drawing near to you that you might draw near to us and make us more like your son, we pray for his glory. Amen.